That's not even a totally different question. That's like a non-fucking factor. The question should be, how much are we willing to sacrifice today for the people that will come tomorrow? One in a million, a million, the one villain. Too hot to be in the kitchen. I'll end up melting the ceiling. This video is brought to you by ExpressVPN. I am a refugee from California. I spent 35 years of my life in California before I moved my family over here to a much better state, Florida. And one of the reasons we moved is because California is dramatically mismanaged. Nearly every summer in California, there would be a request from the state to stop watering your lawn. There would be a request from the state to ensure that you didn't keep your thermostat at below 78 degrees. And now we have this breaking out in California again. And naturally, the entire media have decided that the problem is, of course, global warming. Because when bad mismanagement happens, the problem is always <laughs> global warming in the Democratic area, always and forever. It's great. You just blame the sky. Okay, so I'm from the South. I'm from the South, right? And the idea of the, 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 the state government asking me to like, yo, I need y'all to stop watering y'all lawn, or I need you to like not use water. Like I understand that there are certain states and certain areas, especially in the world, that are like they have like a problem with fresh water and things of that sort, right? Given my current situation, I might be speaking from a place of privilege here, but like I would immediately lose my mind if some, if my governor asked me to stop using water or to limit my water to a very small percentage of consumption, and. I don't know how people in California do it. And maybe it's not as bad as some people make it seem. But to me, that would be wildly like unimaginable. The problem is always global warming in the Democratic area, always and forever. It's great. You just blame the sky. The big problem, of course, is that it's very, very hot outside. Now, the problem that I have with this particular explanation is that for a very long time, namely thousands of years, in the summer, it gets very, very hot in California. In fact, my entire life, since I was a small child, it got very hot in the summer in California. In fact, that was one of the draws to California was summer on the beach in California. But I lived in the valley. I didn't live on the beach. And what that meant is that since the time I was but a barefoot young child, it would be 120 degrees in places like Burbank, California and North Hollywood, California. It'd be That's ridiculous. Now, where I grew up at, right, or where I grew up at, like, it's hot. It gets hot, but I don't think it gets like 125 degrees. It might get like 110 degrees, right? But like, people always say California has great weather, right? And I'm going to be honest. I never visited California. Like the best I got to California was I made a pit stop in California airport to go to Hawaii. And that was the limit. And I was paying like $8 for a bottle of water at the um, airport. Now I get that that's airport price. So I don't know if that actually translates to how much I would have paid in walking in like Los Angeles or something of that sort. But $8 for a bottle of water was ridiculous. Right. But how good is the weather in California? Like, is it when people say good, do they just mean that you don't get a lot of rain and it's mostly sunny? Because to me, I don't consider that to be good. To me, I'm considering maybe like, you know, 70 degrees, you know, windy day, nice and sunny outside. Now, if that's how the weather is on most days in California, then that is nice in my opinion, right? <laughs> oh, man. I don't see how people live in California, especially with the prices and apparently the wildfires and some of the climate disasters. It, it, to me, it just seems ridiculous to reduce COT is going to cost us all dearly. Only the wealthy can afford electric cars. Car batteries cost about 13 K to 20 K to replace. And they only last seven to 10 years. Yeah, we're going we gonna to get there. We're going to get there. I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk about the climate change, but let me, let me see what Ben Shapiro had. Just baking outside and every single year. 
the grid would be strained. And every single year, there'd be transformers that blew up. I remember there was one summer living in North Hollywood as a teenager where the transformer near our home blew up. It was on a Sabbath, so we couldn't even get in our car and turn on the air conditioner. We just sat there in 120 degrees, <laughs> frying our asses off. Well, this sort of thing is frequent in California because California is wildly mismanaged. If, if it turns out that there is a predictable weather event that happens every single year at a particular time, you have to start, you know, actually planning for it and doing things to ramp up for example, the power production in your state. But California has dedicated itself to the Green Suicide Pact, whereby you're supposed to reduce fossil fuel reliance. You're supposed to rely on significantly less durable green energy. And this is going to fill in the gaps, except when it doesn't. And everybody is supposed to simply suffer through the summer heat in California. All right. There's a fundamental question here. There's a fundamental question that we have to pay attention to, right? The question should be, how much are we willing to sacrifice today? For the people that will come tomorrow, how much comfort are we willing to give up for the sake of trying to save the future? Now, that's a separate question from the question of is what California is doing enough to stop global warming? And by all estimates, that is hell no. Not at all. Not at all. There's no way California is doing enough or will ever be able to do enough to stop it. That would take something that would be much more widespread across the planet in order for it to really get the significant change that we want to see. So in the meantime, what California might be doing is causing their citizens to suffer in the short term for something that they're not even going to be able to achieve in the long term. So, one could argue, well, maybe California is making an example, but at this point, who's willing to follow the example of California? And you got to consider that. That's something you got to really pay attention to. And I don't know what answers that people in California have, but I can tell you right now, it doesn't seem like it's working. Yeah, I, I do not understand, given the fact that I picked up my family and my company and left, why people are staying in the state of California. It is, in fact, turning into a hellscape between the homelessness and the crime. The bad energy mismanagement, the bad water mismanagement, the bad social policy. California, which the left uses as sort of the model for the nation, I'm, I'm struggling to understand why. And here's the thing. Many of the people who have founded major companies in California, I'm talking about the big tech companies. I've talked to the heads of some big tech companies. Some of those big tech companies would be taken down by a couple bill in their um, market cap. If I mention the names of the people I, I've spoken to regularly <laughs> at those companies, they've said that if they had to start their company all over again today, they certainly would not base it in California. Uh, right now, the situation in California is, of course, pretty bad. According to Fox Business, California's grid operator warned that excessive heat starting on Wednesday would stress the energy grid and potentially lead to blackouts. Again, totally unpredictable that it would get very hot during the summer in California. It's never happened before, except for every year for tens of thousands of years. <laughs> you know, I take it with a grain of salt, right? I, I take it with a grain of salt because, like, we all know Ben Shapiro's position on California, right? I don't personally have enough experience in California to verify exactly everything that people say about California. I know liberals who love California and would never leave California for any reason. I know Republicans who still live in California, even though they complain about it constantly, who still haven't moved. But then I know liberals and conservatives who have gotten the hell out of California as fast as they possibly could. What's the truth? Is there some gray area? Is it black and white? Well, let's focus on global warming, right? 
And that's enough of Ben Shapiro, right? I think Ben Shapiro is basically hitting the nail on the head when he says that California has trends. And the people who run California are not necessarily keeping up with the trends. They're not necessarily doing what it takes to manage their their state properly. And at the same time, how much of that is due to global warming? I don't think every catastrophe or every circumstance is due to global warming, but one could argue, well, maybe there are certain situations that would not have happened or would not have been as bad if it wasn't for global warming. And usually we look to scientists to tell us those events and tell us exactly when that is. Politicians are not going to be waiting for the scientists to tell them which event is which. Politicians' job is to tell you whatever narrative they can to make you afraid and to keep you voting how they want you to vote. And that's why I really do believe that most people can't really get on the same page when it comes to climate change because most people don't even know they can rely on the politicians they follow. So I think that's what Ben Shapiro has for us. And I think that's enough with the Ben Shapiro. But when it comes, uh, David sent me a video. So I'm going to check out this video. Uh, David sent me a video on Discord. Let's see what we got here. The latest IPCC report explained in less than eight minutes. Now, David, I hope this doesn't give me a copyright strike. So let's hope. Let's hope that's not the case. Trying to avoid the copyright strikes. They be getting your boy. And I don't know how Twitch is about their copyright strikes. So, uh, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make my videos based on what Twitch says or what Twitch cares about. You know. All right, let's get it. All right. So, Hi, hello. We've got another giant climate report out, the third and final major part of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change's sixth assessment report. The okay. science report came out last August, and the impacts and adaptation report just came out a month ago. And finally, finally, we've got the mitigation report. And a lot of people have been waiting for this one because they want it to be a roadmap for how we get out of this climate mess. The easy answer? Stop burning coal, oil, and gas. But how we do that is a totally different question. That's not even a totally different question. That's like a non-fucking factor. <laughs> like, honestly, okay, let's say we nice folks in America decide to get off coal, oil, and gas. Would it be uncomfortable for many of us? Probably. But that's not even the beginning of the problem. What about all of these developing countries who rely on coal, oil, and gas? And most, most of the developing countries are still burning wood. And that's horrible for your lungs. And that's like... To some developing countries, that's just not a, not a factor. And okay, do you want to be the big bad bully on the on the yard that says, okay, well, we got ourselves together, we got our country developed by using all of these means that we're gonna turn around and tell you you can't. How many countries are gonna go for that? And how do you make them go for that by force? So then you gotta ask yourself, are you willing to force other countries to live in poverty for the sake of the planet? Now, somebody could bring up the obvious question: Well, you won't have a planet to live on if we don't do these things. Okay, well, I just believe that that's the beginning of tyranny, in my opinion. But that's a good question. I, that's a good question. Rewind. Stop burning coal, oil, and gas. But how we do that is a totally different question. The summary for policymakers and the full report start in the same place, so we might as well too. How are we managing that whole rising temperatures thing? Uh, not great, Miriam. Oh, hey there. That's Climate Adam, a fellow climate scientist and YouTuber. All right, so it isn't great, but we have seen some improvements <laughs> since the IPC's fifth assessment report in 2014. I wonder how long it took them to shoehorn him in and bring him out, which is a cute little 
a uh, little addition, right? Uh, YouTubers are very creative. Uh, you got to give them their due. All right, so it isn't great, but we have seen some improvements since the IPC's fifth assessment report in 2014. Yeah, well, around the world, we've seen new laws and policies, which mean we've omitted less than we otherwise would have. This has made the worst case scenario where the world heats up by four or five degrees Celsius unlikely. All right, so progress. Yep. Enough progress? Nope, because emissions <laughs> are still going up for every major greenhouse gas. Continuing to use existing fossil fuel infrastructure puts us on a path well above 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming. We're already seeing stronger storms and devastating fire seasons with just one degree of warming, so keeping things below 1.5 should be our goal. Well, the report doesn't actually say that. I know. This is the worst phenomenal... How, how can I put this? This is the worst problem for humanity to face. I really do believe that if climate change is as deadly and as of a, big as a concern as scientists say, the fact that we have like nine point whatever billion people on the face of the earth, this might cause us to be in a circumstance where how in the hell do you convince the right people, enough people to give a damn to the point where they're actually going to make a change? And we're working with a very limited time frame. Would somebody be wrong to vote for their pockets now or for a vote for their pockets 20 years or 30 years or 50 years from now? Hmm. Depends on where your pockets at. No, but it should have. So the IPCC doesn't actually tell us what we should do, more what the consequences are of what we could do. And speaking of the consequences of our actions, our actions just aren't good enough to limit global warming to what the entire world has agreed would be safe. What the report does make clear is that everyone's current climate targets created for the Paris Agreement also overshoot 1.5 degrees and make limiting warming to two degrees difficult. So building new infrastructure needs to be completely off the table. Looking at you, Embridge. In the US, thanks to this law <laughs> called NEPA, the National Environmental Policy Act, any federally funded project has to perform an environmental impact assessment. This report is pretty strong evidence that no fossil fuel project should ever get federal funding in the US again. Whether that happens is still another story, but still. And did you know that other countries exist too that aren't the US? I had heard that. <laughs> and around the world, countries are getting better and better at talking about stopping climate change and then still investing in new fossil fuel infrastructure. Of course, it'd be pretty hypocritical. It's not going to change. It's not going to change. Look, most of our politicians are well above that pay grade, right? Most of our politicians are old. I'm not saying that in a disrespectful way. I'm saying that just as a recognition of the fact. Most of our politicians are at least 50 on up on average. Why in the hell would people who don't have another 50, 60, 70 years to live care enough to do things that will hurt them now? It's just a sad reality of it. And people argue all the time that we need better representation and younger representation in Congress and even when it comes to the presidency and things of that sort. But with youth comes inexperience and with inexperience comes a lot of mistakes and a lot of like hopeless dreams that really wouldn't work. It would take a very unique individual that's very young enough who cares about these problems in order to actually take the steps to fix it. So while I understand that they are literally, you know, making it, they're, they're pointing out the problems. 
And I'm really curious to see how they're going to fix the problems. Uganda found 12 trillion of gold deposits. I hope they help other African countries out with the money. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> Even if the United States does away with fossil fuels, the countries with the highest emissions are not going to stop China, for example. But yeah, um, from what I understand, and I'm not going to say this wrong, but apparently China has become very uh, energy efficient. They said that China is more energy efficient than America is. Now, I looked into it, and the farthest I got was China might be more efficient than America. But I don't think that was something that was true a few years ago. I have to look into it, which I'm willing to look into it. Let's see what they got to say. It's critical of us to not talking about climate change. But what we really need is to replace fossil fuels with renewables everywhere we can. And according to this report, that is more doable now than ever before. The cost of solar, wind, and batteries have plummeted in the last 20 years. And as a result, we've been building more and more of them. Although if we zoom in a bit, yeah, just a bit more, you can see that despite all this growth, renewables are still a small percentage of our overall energy mix. Now I know what you're thinking. We need to increase those percentages as quickly and cheaply as possible. And fortunately, the report has just the figure for you. It packs in a whole load of information, so let's break it down. All right, here's another issue, which I'm glad these people are doing, right? Um, most people don't have the time to care about this. Not only do they not have the time to care enough, but most people are not going to look through this and come away with the right outcome. So maybe it's good that you have people who are willing to break this down. And if you care just enough to actually watch it, to see if there's something to it, then maybe you might get the message. And I'm guessing this is what the whole purpose of this video is about. And I give them a kudos for that. Definitely do. It shows just how much each approach for decarbonization could cut emissions by 2030. So that's the length of each bar. The longer the bar, the better. Hmm, I've heard that before. The colors of each bar show how cost-effective each approach would be. So blue bars mean you're actually saving money compared to what you're replacing, whereas red bars mean you're spending a lot more money. So in this case, the bluer the bar, the better. Hmm, mm. I've not heard that. Uh, the bluer the bar, the better. And it's not that much blue. Um, I mean, there's a few areas with blue, especially at the top with the wind energy and the solar energy. There's a lot of blue there, but it still gets into the yellow and the red. Um, but there's a lot of yellow and red, a whole lot. Before. Obviously, wind is crushing because wind turbines are majestic and beautiful. And they kill a lot of birds. <laughs> they kill a lot of birds. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Yeah. And solar is doing a stellar job too. So both have huge decarbonization potential and often save us money this decade. But this figure is also interesting to see what is less helpful. Take carbon capture and storage, for example. Often held up as some kind of magical silver bullet, we see here that its potential to cut carbon is actually pretty small. To make matters worse, it's seriously costly. So the only thing it actually has in common with a silver bullet is that it's pointlessly expensive. Okay, now, carbon capture is a relatively new technology. It's not as old as wind and solar. I would assume that with given any technology as we, you know, look at current trends with anything as far as like cell phones, TVs, laptops, any cars, 
things get better over time. And as they get better over time, they get relatively cheaper over time. While carbon capture may not necessarily be that silver bullet at the moment, I think there's potential there. The question should be is how much are we willing to invest in it? Is it as promising and is it worth investing in? And then the question should be, if it is, are we better off putting more of our attention there? Maybe it's not. But one thing carbon capture can do versus wind and solar is carbon capture can actually remove carbon from the air versus just switching the energy source. And part of the problem we have is there's too much carbon in the atmosphere. So anything that reduces carbon is a good thing. The question is, how can we expand that to capture enough carbon to really make a difference? And that is an engineering problem. Okay, we got to talk about nuclear. I already know someone's going to give me a hard time in the comments if we don't talk about nuclear. Well, it could certainly help more than carbon capture and storage, but it's still pretty expensive and nothing compared to solar and wind. So take your comments up with the IPCC. Now, granted, this figure only takes us up to 2030, after which certain tech could become more effective or more cheap. But given that we need to cut carbon as quickly as possible and as much as possible, this is a pretty awesome cheat sheet on how to do exactly that. I think I have an issue. Like, let's say it's true that we need to cut carbon as fast as humanly possible. Part of the issue with doing that is you run into this idea, and it's something that salespeople do a lot, right? They create this moment of urgency. Like, oh, I have a sale going on, and you only got to the end of today to get this sale. If you wait till tomorrow, then the sale is going to be gone, and you're going to have to pay twice as or third, three times as much, right? So I'm trying to hook you up. I'm trying to give you the deal, right? People become very mistrusting of people who act in urgency. And that could be a bad thing. And it's also a good thing because people are very hesitant when people try to urge them to do something very quick. Mistakes can be made. People don't have a full understanding and time to grasp what it is you're asking them to do. And also, it makes people feel hopeless. And when people feel hopeless, they're less likely to take the actions that you need them to take in the first place. While, on the other hand, the people who accept the urgency may become or come off as radical. And it can definitely put a rift between those type of people. And I think that's what we're seeing. There are people who are really, really, like really committed to stopping global warming. And then there are people who are just like, it's nothing we can do. We might as well focus on other things, or I'm just not that interested. And I think that's the urgency of it that's causing that rift. But just cutting emissions isn't enough. To get into that, we need to talk about net zero. Okay, so big picture. Carbon dioxide emissions are building up in our atmosphere like water filling up a glass. The fuller the atmosphere gets, the hotter the world gets. So just turn the tap off. Stop emitting greenhouse gases. I said that already. Yes, that is exactly what we need to do. Does carbon ever escape our atmosphere? I I'm really curious. I, I want to look that up real quick because... Uh, does carbon ever escape our atmosphere or does it just fall back down uh, back down to the planet? Uh, let's see. I'm just going to look this up because sometimes you got to look something up if you don't know. We get smarter. Uh, let's see. Uh, 
It naturally travels between the atmosphere, ocean, plants, and rocks over time. Uh, thermal escape occurs if the molecule velocity due to the thermal energy is sufficiently high. Thermal escape happens at all scales, from the molecular level to bulk atmospheric outflow. Uh, one classical thermal escape mechanism is Gene's escape, named after British astronomer. <laughs> Uh, I can't really get a, a direct answer. Carbon dioxide is the most commonly produced greenhouse gas. Carbon secretion is the process of capturing. Yeah, I, I can't give an answer on that one, so I'm lost. I'm lost. Uh, it's not giving me a straight answer. Usually, sometimes it does. Sometimes it depends. But unfortunately, there are some carbon dioxide emissions that we just can't get rid of. So we need to cut our carbon emissions as much as we possibly can. Yeah, so if carbon, if carbon doesn't escape the atmosphere, the question is, is it possible for us to find a way to release carbon out of the atmosphere? Like, we can capture carbon. Is it possible for us to find a way to get the carbon outside of the atmosphere? Okay. Now, this is just me spitballing. If that's possible, then the question would then be, what happens once it leaves the atmosphere? Does gravity keep it within our uh, surrounding our planet, which may cause us the same problem or even worse problem? Where does it go from there? What's the impact of that? And maybe this is a bad idea altogether. I don't know, but something that I'd be curious to know. <laughs> possibly can and then we need to use some form of carbon dioxide removal cdr to suck up that last little bit of emissions that we can't otherwise cut and this is what we call net zero emissions the report makes absolutely clear that we need carbon dioxide removal all right so we need carbon dioxide removal Right. So the question is, how do we get it from out of the atmosphere? Right. And there's a few ways we talked about carbon capture. Uh, we know that certain plants and other means of that carbon returns back to the earth in different ways. Do we speed that process up? What's the best way of doing it? So even if we even if we stop putting carbon into the air, we still got to figure out how to get that carbon back outside of the air. And. That is one of the biggest problems. And then the question is, if we can find a way to remove enough carbon from the air, then we could definitely uh, keep using carbon, right? Can we still keep using carbon even though we can pull it right back out of the air and reuse it? That's a good question. Thermal is heat, no number CO2. Um, do you believe in evolution? Yes, I believe in evolution. Evolution, uh, I'm a, definitely a proponent of evolution. I think that uh, people will say, well, if we came from monkeys, where is monkeys? Uh, well, why are monkeys still exist? I don't believe that's how it works. We are descendants of a common ancestor of the great apes. So we are a great ape. But yes, I do. And you're actually my first Twitch commenter. So congratulations, Matt Sir 30. Uh, this is my first time streaming the Twitch. So welcome to the party. And hopefully you subscribe. But congratulations. No, sorry, it takes more energy to escape the planet. <laughs> so can you be a Christian and an evolutionist? I am not a Christian, so uh, I'm an atheist. <laughs> but <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> Thanks for the follow. Thanks for the follow, Matt, sir.
Welcome to the Hobby Lobby. <laughs> trees are our best bet, but we have to replace them constantly, and we need millions of trees. Uh, okay, trees are the best bet that we have to capture uh, CO2, uh, CO2 from the um, atmosphere. I don't think I don't think we're going to be able to do that. I mean, we can always plant more trees, but right now we have a problem. Whereas, like, how many trees do we need to plant? Where are we going to put these trees? Uh, not only are we going to uh, put these trees in places or whatever, but what's the cost of it? What's the trade-off? Will we have to use more carbon to get the trees where we need it to be planted and to take care of those trees? Like, that's a whole nother situation. Carbon uh secretion is key but it by be it by mechanical process or through revegetation that's just no profit motive there there isn't any profit motive unless the government subsidizes it the government has to find a way to incentivize people to to take that process the question then is are taxpayers willing to use their tax dollars to go towards that i would argue that if climate change is as serious and as dangerous as people argue, if there are enough people willing to vote for that, then I guarantee you that the government is willing to run on that platform and implement that platform, be it Republican or Democrat. It is unavoidable if net zero CO2 or greenhouse gas emissions are to be achieved. In other words, if stopping global warming is to be achieved. Which, I mean, let's hope it is. But in the very same paragraph that the report points out that we need carbon dioxide removal, the report also points out that our ability to use this technology depends on developing effective approaches to address feasibility and sustainability constraints. In other words, we know we're going to need to remove carbon from the atmosphere to solve this problem. Exactly. But at the moment, we don't know how to do this. Okay, so... <laughs> Hear me, hear me when I say this, right? For all the global warming alarmists, one thing we don't know how to do is remove carbon from the atmosphere. We don't know how to do that. So if we cannot do that, we cannot solve our problem. I get the argument that, okay, if we can't do that, the least we can do is minimize how much carbon we're putting in the atmosphere. But yet, I don't think any solution has been proposed on how to possibly get our fossil fuels in the economy that the world operates in today, especially developing countries. We're in a bind. We're in a pickle. And the only thing that will get us out of the situation, in my belief, in my opinion, is technological advances. There has to be some kind of brain power creating an alternative to fix the problem with carbon being in the air. And like I said before, we have natural ways of doing that, but the only game in town, which apparently is not doing enough, is carbon capture. So I need the global warming alarmists to just dial back a little bit because you can't do what you just can't do until you can do it. So we should probably work that out ASAP. Like the first two reports, there isn't anything new here. We've been talking about the need to phase out fossil fuels for decades. This report just piles together all the evidence, and there is a lot of evidence that we need to stop using fossil fuels as quickly as possible. This will require restructuring how global and local economies work, rethinking how and what we build and create, and as we do that, we cannot just focus on reducing CO2 molecules in the atmosphere. The whole point of this is to- 
The official answer, and this is what I'm going to give. I'm giving a conservative answer. I'm not giving a Republican answer, but I'm giving a conservative answer. There are a lot of conservatives who accept that uh, climate change is real, that global warming is real. I think the difference is, is they have different solutions or they don't believe that the solutions being proposed actually help and actually work. So I get that the, a lot of people believe that conservatives or Republicans don't necessarily even agree with climate change, but I think there's a disagreement where one side believes that we need to make all of these drastic changes, whereas the conservatives believe that those drastic changes will only put us at a disadvantage. Not only will it put us at a disadvantage, it won't even solve the problem. And then there's a rift between the two, right? But I don't think you, you don't, a Republican doesn't have to deny that climate change is a real thing. Uh, yeah, carbon capture is very difficult. That's why replacing energy sources with low carbon solutions is first priority. I mean, yeah, but how do you do that without drastically damaging infrastructure all across the globe? We can survive the heat, but we need water. Water is the key to survival. Our planet lost over 90% of all spices over the years. And another thing is, I think more people die of the cold than they die of the heat. So while global warming may actually cost loss of life, it may also save lives. That's a, something you also have to consider as well. It, it's not just a, a lose-lose situation in all people's circumstances. You can do what we can't do yet sooner if there's a concerted effort to address the problem and sufficient R&D. Manhattan Project was a good example of this kind of effort. Uh, every time we see our, our government get together and they go to this climate summit and they go there with all these ideas, even though they fly their private jets and all of that stuff over there, they're supposed to be finding a solution to the problem. The question is, I know people are going to argue about what's actually been done and what's being done, but I'm under the impression that what the climate report that they're speaking of right now clearly says that we don't have the capabilities of pulling carbon out. So if we can't pull the carbon out, the question is, okay, let's not make it worse. Can you give me a solution that doesn't make it worse while at the same time doesn't cause massive, you know, disruption in the world economy and in developing countries. If you can give me that and it's and it's something we can agree on, I see no reason why we wouldn't just like why we wouldn't take that path. <laughs> Fun fact all energy comes from our sun. <laughs> oh, comes from <laughs> to build a livable world we can all enjoy. So that restructuring needs to be done with equity and justice in mind. Thanks so much for watching. If you want to learn more about the six assessment I made videos about part one and two here. And I put together a video on exactly why the IPCC's reports are so important. Which you can watch right here. Oh, thank y'all so much for y'all dedication and ability to communicate exactly what was going on. One in a million, a million to one villain. Too hot to be in the kitchen. I'll end up melting the ceiling.